This podcast is recorded on Wurundjeri land. Our Stripes acknowledges the traditional owners of the land and pay our respect to elders past, present and emerging. Hello and welcome to Our Stripes, a podcast of the Richmond Football Club celebrating the many and varied communities and cultures that make up the mighty strip that is, of course, the yellow and black. Tiffany Cherry is my name, Richmond's multimedia executive and my co-host, Richmond's Diversity Inclusion Coordinator, Rana Hussain, joining you. Hello, everyone. Great to have you here, as we do every week with a very special guest. And it gives us great pleasure today welcoming ahead of our Round 21 match with Carlton, which is, of course, themed Ilana and Madeline Foundation Match Day. Great to have the AMF CEO, Leslie Podesta, joining us. I'm so excited to be here. I love this podcast. Oh, we've got a fan. This is awesome. Awesome. Uh, thank you so much for being here and what a week to be coming in. We've got the Alana and Madeline Foundation game coming up this Sunday. Can you tell us a bit about that and like the darkness? This is the highlight of the year for us. Uh, you know, we love our Richmond family and we love our Richmond club and fans. And this Sunday is an opportunity to get out a really important message, uh, not just to the people on the ground, but to everyone watching, which is that our children live in a really different society than even the young parents grew up in. They're kids who um, feel really confident online because technology is designed to make it easy and to make it, make it accessible. But the technology has advanced faster than everyone else's understanding about how to manage it and how to guide and how to support our kids. So. This Sunday is a real opportunity to highlight both the great things about being online, but also some of the risks and really importantly, the really vital things that families and schools can do to reinforce the safety of our kids online. So as part of the campaign, you've got the... uh you have the eSmart license. Can you tell us what that is? And I know you're rolling this also out through schools. Hmm. eSmart digital license is one of the things that we provide uh, to families and to children and to young people throughout the country. So more than 250,000 children have, um, have done the digital license. And it's really simple, and yet it's not. It's an immersive game where, let's talk about a primary school kid. A primary school kid can go through up to 30 different scenarios of what it would be like to be online by themselves. And it gives them the real life examples of what what it would be and something happens online and they have to make a decision. When they make a decision about what's happened, say they're playing a game with their friends and suddenly a stranger joins in who sounds really friendly and the question pops up, how are you going to respond? Josh sounds like a really cool kid. Do you want to make friends with him? Are you going to reply to him? When the young person, the child responds, it gives them some feedback about who that might have been, what the risk might have been, what they need to do to block unwanted contact, for example. Lots and lots of examples of what would happen when you're online and when you're playing, real life examples for kids, but with feedback for them. It's a terrific way for a family to know that their child has actually 
thought about it and and develop some understanding about what's what's going on. Because one of the things that's interesting is that while children feel really excited about being online, they often don't recognise that the other screen is connected to a real life person. And that's part of what you try to do is, is get them to understand that the internet is not just like a television, it's actually connecting you to you to you to you to you. And they're often not people they know. So each of these licenses, I believe, cost $30. And I know as part of our campaign with you guys on Sunday, we're raising vital money for, for this campaign. Through the course of the last eight years, I believe we've raised around $750,000 and we're pushing hopefully up around the million dollars by the end of the year. How has that enabled the AMF to be able to do all the programs that you've uh, you've rolled out over the last eight years? So the support from Richmond is invaluable. We, we could not do the work we do without your support. And, you know, developing the digital licence requires us to bring really smart people together design it, build it, and then distribute it and train teachers and parents around the country, for example. So what it does is it gives us the capacity to go out there and work. And what's really important, it helps us reach the families and the communities who really need it the most. So you know where we were this weekend? We're up in Arnhem Land working with Indigenous communities. We were sitting down, literally in the red dirt, uh, working with kids who have had extraordinary experiences of being trolled and abused and at risk online and doing all of the work that we do happily in the local like local community in Richmond up in remote communities and we've had so many communities approach us asking us to go up there and work with them and we do that really happily because we're committed to making every child safe but we're also really committed to reconciliation and that we feel like that's an important part of our responsibility. Now we couldn't do that without the support of Richmond. Richmond's funding to us gives us the capacity to get on a plane and fly to and an ingi and be able to sit down and work with people. It's it's a really important part of our job. Can you tell us a bit about the lead up to putting on a game like this and, and what the day is actually like from your point of view? It, it starts, look, I get to have the fun part at the beginning. So at the beginning of every season, we look at the fixture and I know it's not my decision, but I pretend it's my decision. <laughs> <laughs> we we sit down and we analyse strategically what's going to be the best game for us. Um, and we do try to make it, I mean, obviously we make it a home game, but we also try to make it a game um, where children will be able to come. So um, an afternoon game is great from our point of view. We also like it to be televised. And we want it to be a club that's going to be a bit of a rival. So there's, you know, a bit of a reason that people are going to join in the conversation. So that's the first thing we do. And I guess that that's the strategic planning that happens really early on. But then as we get closer to game day, uh, it's about the theme. What's the message that we're going to do? It's about the development of the materials and information. And then really importantly for us, it's about getting our supporters to volunteer on the day. Uh, we we get a strong message out, but we do a lot of fundraising on the day. And um, I'm thrilled. We have over 150 volunteers coming on Sunday. And all uh, wearing purple. All yellow. wearing purple. Um, all go Tigers. All supporting kids who are at risk of violence. Um, and they'll be there doing a million jobs on the day. But it's fantastic. I did a bit of tin shaking last year. Um, and that was really, uh, really lovely. And, and 
the generosity is amazing from our members, but not just that, um, from the opposition as well. People um, from the other team were just so happy to kind of donate because it's such a good cause and I really enjoyed that actually. I think that's wonderful to hear. You know, we hear this a lot. I think Australians are really proud of Alana and Madeline and, you know, every time there's a mass shooting in the US, I think it also reinforces wow, I am so thrilled that I live in Australia. Um, you know, we we were a big part of bringing in gun control. We're a big part of making sure our gun laws stay strong. But what I love about it is after that dreadful tragedy in 96, we said, we're not, we're not going to have that happen here. And we're going to make sure that any child who has the same fear that Alana and Madeline had, that we can protect them. It's wonderful that 2.5 million children have been supported by the foundation. And I think Australians are so proud of how we as a community responded to that tragedy. So we're very conscious of that legacy. And I, and it does, you know, it's across clubs. Uh, I love the Richmond family. They love us. Um, Richmond and Alana and Madeline have this amazing relationship. But I love the way members know that. It's got one of the highest recognition rates in the country of a charity. It's fantastic. What about Alana Madeline's dad, Walter? So what's his involvement with the foundation? Does he come on Sunday? And does he have a say in, in how things roll out? So two things. I am so proud of the fact that Walter has a life. Um, if 22 years later the foundation was his life, I would be worried because this has been a really important part of him having a legacy in to remember his wife and his children. But part of our job is helping him also get back a life. So he has a, a new daughter. Well, she's she's 17 now. She's not so new, but he has he has a family. He's he's got a great life. He's happy, and he's so proud of what the foundation does. And he's really involved, but not day to day. And he shouldn't be mm. day to day. He's he's a pharmacist, and he but he comes on game day. He never misses it. Believe me, uh, he has a Richmond tattoo, <laughs> and. <laughs> He, we won't ask where. Uh, <laughs> yeah. he, he comes to um, the big events and he regularly goes and speaks to groups and organisations. So he is very much, he's a Carlton fan, so, you know, he's going to be there with split loyalties on the day. Um, but he's very, very thrilled with um, this relationship and it's really important to him. And how lucky are we that Carlton's on the rise and, uh, oh, and obviously absolutely. Richmond's in the top four. So, you, so not only the strategic planning, but you've, the gods are looking down as well. <laughs> Do you know that since I've been the CEO, this game has been fantastic for us. So the year that I came, my first game, uh, we kicked. It was when the ball we kicked the goal, the winning goal after the siren and won the match. Mm. That was the first Alana and Madeline match, and we actually made quite a bit of money from the sale of the jerseys that year because people were so excited. <laughs> and then, of course, then we won the premiership. So we've had a terrific run. I've been very fortunate. Um, but I also say regularly to Brendan, I am your lucky charm. Oh, yeah, I was about to say, I am. Too, take it out of my take <laughs> that word straight out of my mouth. So, what about your background, Leslie? How did you come to be the CEO of the AMF and, and, and take us through some of the work that you've done leading up to mm. your role with uh, the Alana Madeline Foundation? So I grew up in um, a pretty tough part of Australia. I grew up in the western suburbs of Sydney in Green Valley and, um, you know, I was always really conscious that 
life wasn't uh, equally fair to every person. Um, certainly in my life, I was pretty lucky, but not all of my friends were. And a number of my friends were sexually assaulted as I was growing up. And, you know, violence was a big part of our life. Um, rugby league was ruled in Sydney. Um, and I, I started when in, I started high school in the 70s and when I started we had um, more than 900 kids started in uh, grade 7. When I graduated in year 12, uh, grade 6, there were um, 20 of us. So education was different in those days. People were not encouraged to stay. And I was very fortunate. I had a great teacher who really supported and encouraged me. But I went to university absolutely committed to making life more equal and more fair and um, worked in philosophy of education, joined the Disadvantaged Schools Program. That was really where I started, which was how can you make schools a fairer and more equal place? Um, And I've been very fortunate. I've had some terrific jobs in the public sector, always in social policy areas. So about employment, about youth affairs. Um, I ran ageing and aged care and I did a lot of work in health, particularly population health. Um, And I came to the foundation after a long career in Canberra and also doing some work for the Fred Hollows Foundation. And I was absolutely driven by um, this this idea that for children at risk, you needed good people. And I don't want to sound immodest, but I know that I can do things. I know I'm good at making things happen. And I really wanted to keep the agenda of children who were affected by violence and trauma, that we needed to have the best solutions possible for them. So I've been really fortunate to be able to come into the role with a, a strong background in population health and public health and government and social change. And it's been a, a, a wonderful um, opportunity for me to be able to do the passion and also join some of the dots around the policy and the work that we do. I'm really interested in you in terms of, aside from the amazing work that you do with Alana and Madeline, just as a woman um, who's risen to CEO and worked in both public and private, um, I'm guessing you've had a number of experiences in the workplace. And I read in a Marie Claire interview um, that you did Uh, for International Women's Day, you talked about supporting other women. Um, I'm really interested to know what that means to you Mm. and what that looks like in the workplace. Mm. I do have a very strong commitment about supporting each other and supporting your peers. And I've been fortunate because I... I joined, my career started and I was inspired by people who really wanted to make a difference and I always had that in my in my heart as well. So when I came to Victoria, Joan Kerner um, met me very early on and Joan Kerner said, oh, I've got things that you can do. And she really pushed and encouraged and inspired me so often because I worked in the education sphere and I, I realised watching and learning from Joan that you don't make a difference just by doing it by yourself, that you have to have um, a broad coalition and you have to work across across population groups and across organisations and groups to make things happen. Nothing happens just by saying I want or I will. It happens by a number of people doing it together. And so I, I learned from some of the best collaborators and uh, partnership builders and change makers. And as I've you know, gone through my my role and 
And as I've gotten older, one of the things that I've really recognised and I absolutely practice is I try to identify other, particularly young women, also men, but I, I do, I guess, try to support young women to encourage and support them. And one of the things that makes me furious when I look at people in the public sector now is that there is this fear, it's risk aversion. You know, I'm so scared, I don't want to make a mistake. And so one of the things that I personally do is I identify um, women in strategic roles in the public sector and I have conversations with them and I encourage them. And the message I say to them all the time is you are in a unique position to do good. Do not waste this opportunity. And I help and encourage people to think about how you think bigger. What, where are you within the policy sphere? What can you do to push that around making things equal or more fair? And, you know, I notice over and over again, there are so many young women in senior roles and no one's doing that for them. And yet that was that was so much a part of my growing up and my uh, professional career. So I, I'm really committed to that. I think, you know, those of us who are fortunate enough to have gone to university, um, to have benefited from that, we have a real responsibility to give back. And that's about using the power of the position you're in to do as much as you can to promote equality, diversity and fairness. And, you know, if, if it's not enough just to do well for yourself. You have to do well for other people. Mm. Two mm. questions top of mind. Firstly, so Joan Kerner mm-hmm. was, uh, for those who are listening and may not know, we've got an, a younger audience, was the first female Premier of Victoria. Was there anything in particular other than her saying, I've got things that you can do, that any any some, any motivational phrase that she said to you that you've taken with you along your journey? Joan always talked about the group and not the individual. And I've really taken that with me, you know, that it doesn't matter how clever one person is, you don't do it without bringing other people with you. And I've always had that. And that you have to, you have to practice democracy, that you have to consult people and you have to get people involved in the decision making. And she taught me that more than anyone. The other question, and it leads into that because, uh, not doing something on your own is meaning that you have a buddy. So can you talk to us about the buddy bags is my last little segue there. And <laughs> and these wonderful purple beanies that we have that if you're looking on our website, you'll see a photo of Rana, um, Leslie and myself wearing these. Then these are all part of the beanie, not meanie. Can you mm. tell us how they all combine? So the idea, the concept of buddy is really um, simple one and yet not simple. <laughs> so buddy is about saying that All of us need somebody with us, standing side by side, walking with us, being over our shoulder. And we try as a foundation to be that friend for a child in need. And we do that by drawing other friends to us and with us. So the Beanies is a great example. The Beanies is more than 5,000 people across Australia who have knitted purple Beanies. There's two parts of it. When they sign up to do it, they get information about how to talk to their children or grandchildren or nieces and nephews or neighbours' kids about bullying, what's the signs and what it looks like and how Mm. they can have a conversation. And then they knit a beanie and it gets sent to the Alana and Madeline Foundation and it goes in a buddy bag. And a buddy bag is something that is freely given with love to a child who's been removed from home because they're at risk of violence. And the buddy bag has pyjamas and toiletries and a soft toy and a book. They're absolute heartbreaking wonderful gift Mm. to a child who often is removed from home with a garbage bag with nothing in it Um, we've distributed nearly a hundred thousand buddy bags now 
Richmond Football Club is a big part of that. And I love the fact that everybody back this winter has a beautiful hand-knitted with love beanie. Bespoke. It's, they're, and they're amazing. They are they're not some cheap, nasty one. No, they are brilliant. And that's yeah. that's part of it. It's about everyone needs a friend. And Buddy Bear is our symbol. And Buddy Bear is a little bear that give, gets given to a child when they start school. And it's part of the symbol where a bigger child in that school is their buddy and helps them mm. navigate the playground. So that's who we are. We try to be there at the tough times for kids. Um with a friendly face, um, with something that gives them a bit of support and a bit of help for the next step of the journey. And of course, in October, we have Buddy Run. And Buddy Run is, we started it, it's the first children's run where kids get to stand up and say, I don't want to be a bully, I'm not going to be a bully. And they do a one kilometre run and they fundraise for the Alana and Madeline Foundation. fantastic. It's awesome. And so is that run through the, how does that run? It's run, um, we promote it through schools and through communities and Richmond Football Club. And it's going to be at Yarra Park just outside the MCG on the 20th of October. And it is the most wonderful day. And Walter and Tick and Kate Everett come along and they lead off and charge off the run uh, with Buddy Bear. And so to register, you just go to the Alana and Madeline Madeline site and register for Buddy Run and you will love it. It is the most fun. And Richmond's there and the kids get to play kick to kick with Richmond. Can I ask, obviously... We touched on kind of the beginnings of Alana and Madeline, um, which did come out of the Port Arthur massacre. Mm -hmm. Um, And the focus has been on bullying and schoolyard bullying, now shifting to cyberbullying. What was that change process like? Really good question. So in 1996, really we had to... We really had to stand up the conversation about physical violence and obviously gun violence was the horror that faced our country. And all of us said to keep kids safe, we really had to address the issue of um, domestic violence and about family violence and child abuse and gun violence. But, you know, the world has changed dramatically. Alana and Madeline would be 30 years old now, 30 and 27. Mm. The life for our children now the threat of violence is not just about physical violence. It's still there, but increasingly the risk to children is about the fact that they are online before they can read. So we we were pretty far-reaching. I think we thought about that well in advance, and that's why we developed eSmart nearly 10 years ago, which was to give everyone the right tools and thinking and systems and awareness about what you were going to do to make sure that as the internet changed and became more and more accessible, you know, I'll shock you now. Do you know how many children have, um, how many children carry a smartphone? Have a guess. And a child is considered under 16? Under 12. I don't know, 70%? Yep, oh, 70%. Goodness. And that was a guess. Yep. I don't know. That's so horrendous. 94% of teenagers, uh, 70% of children at primary school and 36% of preschoolers have their own internet connected phone or device. Preschoolers. Uh-huh. Wow. They have a they have a tablet connected to the internet. So that's not to shock you even though it always does surprise people. It's to say the world is really different from when we started. And while there is so much that is 
absolutely great and wonderful online and it, it gives us the connection and this you know the opportunity to explore the world there's a risk and so we needed to change the things that we did to recognize that our children's lives are spent equally online as in real life and that's why we made a real we've really pivoted to uh, focusing on the area of work and really importantly I think some kids are more vulnerable than others and that's been increasingly part of the work that we've done it's you know I look at the data and um, nearly one in five teenagers tell us that they've been cyberbullied, but it's not just about cyberbullying. That's a big part. It's also exposure to violence online. It's also exposure to pornography online. It's unwanted contact. It's attempts to groom kids. You know, one of the things that we know is that every seven minutes somewhere in Australia, there's a web page which shows a child being sexually abused. There are some dark corners on the internet and it's really critical that we are equipping families and children and students with the right skills because they need to be able to navigate safely. And really, really importantly, if something goes wrong, they need to know what to do for it to stop, for it to be reported, to be able to take it down and then to bounce back, to be resilient. And that's a big part of the work that we do because we're not going to pretend that it will never, you'll never see anything. But what we want to is give kids the skills to be able to recognise what they see is an image, what it means and how to process that. And also really importantly, how to be kind and respectful online themselves. That's a really important part of our job. I'm going straight to Vivian's preschool and I'm going to say you need to uh, be smart. You need totally. to be smart. Absolutely. And, uh, definitely. And it's different, you know, and we've always focused on bullying and bullying is a really important. Bullying affects so many children. But cyberbullying means that it doesn't just occur in the playground. It follows kids mm -hmm. home. And so we absolutely focus on giving kids and families the skills and resources that they need to be able to deal with it. You know, one of the things that really it horrifies me, but it's not, it doesn't surprise me either, is that so many kids who are cyberbullied don't tell their parents or an adult. And you know why? For, for two reasons. One, parents' knee-jerk response is to say, get off the social media or I'll take your phone away. And that punishes the kids who have been who are already being bullied. It's not the right response. But the other thing is parents don't know what to do. They think the only thing is to shut it down. Shut it down. Actually, if parents knew and there are really straightforward things to do that you can report it, you can you can take it down. There are absolutely steps that you can do to minimize what what's happening and and stop the cyberbullying kids will feel feel more confident when their parents know what they're doing. And that's a really important part of what eSmart is about, giving people those skills to be able to support their kids when something goes wrong. So, Leslie, what are some of the signs of bully or that bullying has occurred or cyberbullying has occurred? And then also on that back of that, what mm. are the steps? As you said, you know, yeah. you can report it and, and take it down, but what else can they do? Okay. So I don't want to pretend that a parent can switch click a switch and it all happens it's a process the first and and not every situation is exactly the same so being able to have the conversation with your child is the most important thing so we give parents some really simple tips things like this depending on your child's age let's say we're talking about a 13 year old we'll use that as the example 
it's, it'll be less likely for them to tell you if you try to have the conversation looking into their eyes. Mm. Actually, conversations side by side or where the child is behind you in the car are more likely to be successful. Interesting. Mm. Secondly, respect and step into their world. Don't put down their interests. Listen to them. Actually take notice of what games, apps or adventures they're having online and respect the fact. In the same way that we as parents go along and watch their basketball games and their football games and hear them doing singing or playing an instrument, also respect the fact that Fortnite is something for some kids that is really important and there's some things about it that are great and they love it. Don't just put it down. Respect it and listen to them and hear and have a conversation. Be part of their digital life. But for parents also, it's about understanding what you do. How do you, what are the rules and regulations around the game or the app that they're on? Actually read the privacy and the provisions that when your child signs on. Know about the privacy controls and the parental controls that you can exercise. They're not that hard, but you need to spend a few minutes preparing yourself and understanding it. Look at the website. Um, Alana and Madeline or Dolly's Dream, we have information about games and apps that your children might be using and understand what the risks are about unwanted contact, how do you stop uh, an external person joining in, etc. But if something's happened, if something's gone wrong, how do you report it to a social media company? It's not that hard and most social media companies are very responsive. People are really you know, aggressive about Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. Our experience has been those big sites are actually very responsive. It's some of the smaller rogue sites that are actually the the bigger risk for, for kids. And if that doesn't work, it, it will mostly work. But if it doesn't work, the Office of eSafety has a report system that, and they have a provision for takedown provisions as well. So there's a way that you can remove the content, but then it's also about building and rebuilding your child's trust and confidence. So letting them know what you're doing and hearing them and talking to them about it and understanding, getting them to see why the bully has engaged in that behaviour. The other thing that's really important is helping them recognise that the answer is not to bully someone else. And sadly, this is what happens with kids when it doesn't, when that intervention doesn't happen. Too often the way that kids get out of bully, out of being a, being a bullied person is to find somebody else to bully because it's then no longer the attention on them. So helping parents as their parent understand what is happening within that dynamic within that group of kids. Um, Often we give kids really simple things like don't read the comments. It sounds easy. It doesn't sound much, but it's actually really important not engaging Mm. in that. But also respecting the fact that social media and using social media for young people is a really important way that they connect and, and contact. So, you know, on the same page where somebody might be telling a kid, I hate you, don't you're not part of it, or telling them about a party where they weren't invited, and that's really hard, it's mm-hmm. really tough. On the same page, they might well be connecting with somebody who's a really good friend and someone who's a caring person to them or someone who connects with them. You know... Social media is really important for some kids in particular. 
If you're a child with a physical disability, for example, being able to connect with other kids that way is critical for so many. Um, If you're a kid who's got a particularly esoteric interest, you find your tribe online. Mm. And that's really important for kids too. I think for parents, what we do is, is get parents to understand the complexity of the situation. None of it's ever black or white only. There are mixtures and helping kids be able to see through the positives around what they're doing and the negatives and the risk and not doing the sort of behaviours that are going to contribute. The other thing that we do with parents is we encourage them to think about their own behaviours and modelling in front of their kids. Do they make rude and aggressive comments on pages? Uh, Do they pick up their phone and ignore their kids when they're having a meal, for example? So some of that's about Mm. raising awareness as well. Can I ask, uh, what's your favourite part of your job? Oh, I don't think I have any favourite part. But I do, I love, um, oh, there's so much that's so good. It, it's a pleasure, you know. I, I don't, I shouldn't say this because what if my board is, I feel like I shouldn't be <laughs> paid. I shouldn't be paid for what I do because it's such a privilege. Uh, you know, any day it's negotiating with a government bureaucrat, but you know, we do from the side of the angels all the time. Instead of having to ask them to do something that nobody would support, we do something for kids who've been traumatised. It's fantastic. Working with amazing sponsors and partners, the partners are fantastic for the Alana and Madeline Foundation. The volunteers, all right, I guess if there was any one thing that I could say, wow, this is that's just makes me happy and break into a stupid grin every day is... I do love going into the buddy room, buddy bag room, when you have a whole lot of volunteers in there who've never seen it before. And we talk to them about kids who've been affected by violence and what this means as they're packing underpants and pajamas and a hairbrush and a soft toy. And watching, you know, 25 year old guys start crying when you tell the story and they read the postcards from the kids. That's pretty amazing because, you know, not only are you doing something really important for children, but you're also helping people think about how they can be a change maker. I love that. And that may have almost answered our final question, which is a standard question we ask all of our guests, regardless of the topic, of course, is if you could describe a picture that was part of your life or part of your journey or part of your role, um, obviously because this is an auditory medium, uh, can you describe that for us and why it means so much to you? Mm. And it might be that buddy bag moment, a picture in your head, but it could be anything. I saw that you asked that question, so I actually thought about that last night. Oh. And um, when I was a little girl, um, my mum and dad both had jobs where they worked six days a week. My mum worked in Woolworths, my dad worked at a hardware store. So I spent quite a lot of time with my maternal grandparents. They also had pretty tough lives. My grandma was a cleaner and my grandfather um, worked on, in the, on the railways. But they really liked art. And um, they didn't have expensive. They just had prints all around the house. But one of the um, prints in my um, grandma's house was an umbrella that was picked up by the wind and blown into the sky. And I, when I was a little girl, I was about five or six, I used to look at this all the time, this red umbrella in the dark sky. And my grandfather used to tell me stories about what it meant. And I do remember so well the story where he told me that when you lose something, you know, it can fall on the ground and that's it, or it can take wings and uh, travel the world. And 
I always remembered that and it's never gone away the image and the message that he told me about that that you know you can drop something and then it's just there and sitting there and it's dead or you can let it go and let it be free and I guess I've always had that sense about the liberation and the I've always had a flying dream um it's a little bit Mary Poppins. It's a little bit wonderful. It's a little bit what my grandfather told me. And it's also that beautiful symbol of the umbrella through the dark sky that, you know, it's almost a symbol of hope. So mm. I guess that's the thing that I've carried in my head more than anything as an image. What a great picture. It's beautiful. Thank you so much, Leslie. And so- all that information is really valuable. As a parent, I mm. was kind of thinking, oh, God, I've got to go and look You can come to room. a Connect workshop. We will be very happy to help any parent from Richmond. And, in fact, I'd love to say that any part of the Richmond family, let us know if you want to be part of Connect. We run fantastic workshops for parents. Just yesterday, Kane Lambert was at a school and a whole lot of the families came along because I guess because Kane was there <laughs> and they all whipped out their smartphones and our Connect facilitator showed them how to change their privacy settings, how to do parental controls, Beautiful. how to set it. Run they love yeah. it. <laughs> so, so that's on the Lana Madeline absolutely. Foundation website. Beautiful. Great. We'll definitely be there. Thank you so much, Leslie. And until next time, listeners, stay tuned to Our Stripes on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you have any questions or comments, tweet us at the Richmond Football Club Club Twitter page, hashtag Our Stripes. Thank you. Thank you.